Hello and welcome to the New to Canada podcast, the show that shares honest, real-life stories and insider info from internationals living in Canada. I am your host, Kate Malcolm, and I made the big move from England to Canada in 2017 after falling in love with a Canadian. Since then, I've launched the Newcomer Collective, home of this podcast, as well as the New to Canada Academy, the step-by-step online video course that guides you through everything you need to build a new life in Canada that you love. You can learn more at thenewcomercollective.com. Join me on this show as I chat with fellow newcomers and learn all about where they are from in the world, why they chose Canada as their new home, and the lessons they've learnt along the way. It's great to have you. If you've ever worked in the United Kingdom, no matter what nationality you are, you have paid into the UK state pension. Once you move away, say to Canada, you might think that those payments are simply lost or like me, you're unsure what can even be done from overseas. Good news is I'm joined in this episode by Ian Andexa, a fellow Brit in Canada and chairman of the Canadian Alliance of British Pensioners. He's here to shed light on how you can buy back your missing years of contribution since moving abroad and still receive a good payout when you reach pension age, despite no longer living in the UK. Now, I'm going to use you as an example. You probably don't have more than, what, four or five years at the most. So right now, Kate, you would get nothing. So you've given five years of your money to into the state pension scheme. And if you don't do anything, you'll get nothing. You must have a minimum of 10 years. You haven't paid into the scheme for the last three or four years since you've been in Canada. So you potentially could go back and buy those three or four years that you haven't paid. Now, if you've got those minimum requirements of 10 years, you're going to get 10 35ths of whatever the pension is when you hit retirement, which is probably, what, 30-something years from now. It, the pension right now, and again, they've got two pension schemes, it, it's around about £230 a week. Worth getting into, seriously worth looking into. Ian takes us through the pension basics, what it is and who can get one. He then dives deep into the frozen pension issue, a problem that is costing pensioners in Canada hundreds of thousands of pounds, and the ways that the Alliance is lobbying the UK government for change. Let's start the show. Hello, Ian. Nice to see you. Thank you very much, Kate. Look forward to talking with you. Amazing. Well, it's always great to chat with a fellow Brit on the podcast. As as my listeners know, I don't really get to hear the accent very much anymore these days. I'm surrounded by Canadians, so I always feel like I'm you know, a bit closer to home whenever I have a Brit on the show. So welcome. Yeah. Well, I go back quite regularly to get a refresher course and uh, try to remember how I used to talk. <laughs> yeah, they'll definitely remind you, won't they, if you dare to say oh, garage yes. or any of these other things, they'll remind you. <laughs> oh, yes, for sure. Whereabouts are you from originally in England? I was born in London, but um, my youth years were spent uh, in Bournemouth down on the south coast. Oh, lovely. That's where I went to university. So I lived there for five, six years. As did I. Oh, really? Yeah, as did I. I went to Bournemouth University, yeah. Oh my gosh, they keep improving it though. I ne- we never had that fancy library and all of that that they've got now. It looks amazing. No, they've got a brand new campus now, uh, which wasn't there when I was there in 1968. Oh my goodness. Yeah, I loved it there though. Wow, what a special part of the world. I and I, I'm not from there. I wasn't born there, but I, I had those years there and then I ended up taking all the Canadians there to get married. So that's how much I loved it. Yeah. <laughs> Dragged them all there and they were so impressed. Yeah, lovely part of the country to grow up as a kid in. Oh, 
I can imagine. Yeah, being by the beach. Did that affect where you ended up choosing to, to go to Canada? They wanted the ocean still, your parents, I'm assuming? No, not really. My parents were in the hotel business in Bournemouth, which is what I took at university. I took a hotel management course. And um, I just ended up working in London uh, during some rather nasty bombings when the IRA were getting carried away in the 70s. Mm. And it was a little scary to work there. And uh, I had previously worked in Switzerland and I roomed with a Canadian from Winnipeg. And I phoned up a mate of mine in Bournemouth and said, this is crazy what's going on up in London. Do you want to do some traveling? So we both decided, yeah, what the heck? And Canada was going to be our first stop as we traveled around the world. Oh, amazing. And then what, you just, you ended up falling in love with it. I guess you're still here all these years later. Well, yeah, you could say falling in love with Canada, but also with a Canadian lady. Okay, yes. Yeah. <laughs> so you did the same as me. I, felt I, I married a Canadian as well. That's how they get you, isn't it? Yeah, no, I ended up coming here as a tourist and uh, we hitchhiked across the country, my friend and I. And once we got to Edmonton, I got offered a job in the hotel industry, which I accepted told my mum and dad I was going to come back to Canada work for a year and then I met this Canadian lady and 46 years later I'm still here. Oh that's amazing and where are you now? You're on the west coast. As far west as you can get almost. I live on Vancouver Island in Nanaimo. Oh see that is the dream. I would love to live there as well. I think it's nice you don't get as harsh winters. Um, It's just a little bit further from from going home isn't it? That flight home's a real... Yeah extra slog but it is the one thing that's kind of all in my mind after 30 years of shoveling snow in Edmonton I'd, I'd had it I couldn't do it any longer yeah. so uh, when when we when we decided to retire I, we moved out to Vancouver Island and it's it, as you say the climate here is very similar to what I'm used to back home and I'm sitting here at my desk looking out at uh, the ocean right now from my living room window wow are there a lot of immigrants there or is it uh, you know few and far between very Canadian no, there's a lot. The, the The two main areas in the country where British people are found is Ontario and British Columbia. Right. And uh, there's an awful lot living on Vancouver Island. And I, I do put that down to the fact that the climates are very similar. Mm. Um, you know, we get the occasional snow, but my grass right now is really green. And if you've seen the weather forecast in Alberta today, they've had snow already even before Halloween. I know. Oh, my gosh. I, I, As beautiful as the mountains are, I really don't think I could do that. And, you know, I struggle enough as it is in Ontario with, you know, the four or five months of cold that we get. And you start feeling really tired of it by, you know, March. But at least we don't get the first snowfall really until... I mean, I, we have had snow on Halloween, to be fair, in previous years, but most of the time it usually just starts around December. So, yeah, yeah, beautiful. Amazing. Well, I thought when you first originally said that you met someone from Winnipeg, I thought that that was where you were going to move to. And that's a, even more of a colder, <laughs> crazy snowstorm place. So that would have been an interesting first. No, that, that was a male work friend that I roomed with in Switzerland. Well, you sound like you've done so much traveling. You've, you've picked a perfect place to retire. And yeah, now you're, you're helping fellow British uh, immigrants. And we're here to chat more about that. Well, absolutely. As you can well imagine, when I came here aged 25, the last thing on my mind was a pension. I, I ca carried on working my career in Canada for another 25 years, not even thinking about a British pension. Mm -hmm. But of course, I'd worked for six years in the United Kingdom and paid into the uh, national pension scheme. And I happened to run into somebody, I can't remember who, where or when, but he basically said to me, are you prepared to just give up those six years of payments because you'll get nothing from the British government? 
And I said, well, yeah, but I don't live there anymore. And he said, well, surprisingly, the British government still allow people to pay into their pension scheme, even though they're not necessarily still living and working in England or Britain, I should say. So I just looked into it and I came across the uh, Alliance of British Pensioners, got some information from them. And for a very, very small fee, I think in those days it was $20 a year to join. They sent me all this information. And before you knew it, I decided that this was a no-brainer. Start getting in on this. The British government were more than happy to take my money from Canada. And I made voluntary contributions. Now, at the time, I had probably 16 years before I was going to get to retirement age. So I had the opportunity of taking uh, another six years that I'd worked and adding 16 years to it to get 22 years of a British pension. But again, miraculously, the British government allowed me. Oh, sorry. My dog's going mad. (laughs) Um, The British government allowed me to retroactively buy 10 years. So I did all of that. And by the time I'd finished and got my maximum amount that I was eligible to get, I ended up with 29 years of contributions. And I am now a pensioner. I've been drawing my pension now for about six years. And I'm getting just uh, just over $10,500 a year from the British government. Wow. So that's on top of the contributions that you paid over the years. Oh, yeah. Now, obviously... Um, when I when I retroactively bought 10 years, the Department of Work and Pensions will send me or sent me a statement saying how much my contributions were going to be for those 10 years. I think it worked out to be around about $3,000. Mm-hmm. And I can remember sitting here at my desk writing a check to the British government for $3,000. And my, my wife said, what are you doing? <laughs> and I said, I'm buying back some years of my pension. And she said, does it make sense? And I said, well, I figured out as long as I can collect my pension for 17 months, I'll eventually get all that money back. Mm -hmm. And she said, well, what if you don't? And I said, well, if I don't, it's because I'm dead and I really don't care. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Oh, it's just so it's so valuable when you can educate yourself on these things, because, yeah, I mean, if anyone's listening If you're like me, you really don't have a clue about pensions. And similar to what you were saying, you know, when I first started working after graduating Bournemouth University, I I didn't really, you know, I wanted every penny of my wages back then. I didn't really care about, you know, future Kate. That's not really on your mind when you're in your early 20s. Exactly. You know, then I ended up moving to Canada only a couple of years into my working life. But yeah, I know so many people we were mentioning before the call um, that, you know, on these forums of people that move to Canada, there are so many people who do move here later on in their careers. They know they've got this money that they've worked hard for and want to protect. And um, yeah, when you reached out, I thought this was such a valuable episode for for British listeners specifically, but also anyone else of, of another nationality, right, Who who's previously worked in the UK. This This will be valuable for you as well. Absolutely, Kate. You, you know, not only is this eligible for British people, but it's also eligible for non-Brits. As, if you have been working in the United Kingdom and you've been paying into the national insurance scheme, you are entitled to a British pension, provided you meet certain criteria. One of the individuals that used to be a board member of our association is actually a Canadian. 
but he was in the banking industry. He worked in London for about six years, and he has now continued to pay and is drawing a British pension. Mm. And what we discovered, I mean, I've been involved with the British Pensioners Association in Canada now for well over 20 years. What we've discovered is that there are so many people probably like yourself, younger people who've moved from the United Kingdom, they've moved to Canada, and they have no idea that they are still eligible to be paying into a system that would eventually give them a very decent pension. And that's why we exist. We exist to try to educate people and let them know that this option is available to them. We put on seminars probably about once a month. Uh, We just did one the other night. We had 46 people attending. And uh, instantly after the meeting, we had seven or eight of them immediately sign up to join our association to get the information that we provide them and tell them what to do. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's so important because there's it's just another thing that that's on your mind when you move to a new country. There's so much going on, you know, even just opening a Canadian bank account, finding a place to live, building your career. Um, this is just another piece of the, of the puzzle and it can be, you know, push to the side so having an organization like this to to simplify it and and to help people you know that's just one less thing on on a newcomer's mind really it can get really overwhelming so I'm so happy you're here um let's let's just really strip it back you know even just for people like me I really literally know nothing about UK pensions at all so can we just maybe quickly touch on you know what is a UK state pension mm-hmm. who who has one how do you get one um and and just how it works really I always just thought oh you're just paying into something and then you get that money back when you're old you know there's right. more to it than that right so yeah well, when you're employed in the United Kingdom uh, you are obligated to pay into the state pension scheme And you need to have a certain amount of years paid in in order to qualify for a British pension. The DWP over the years continually keep changing the rules. Many, many years ago, a man needed 44 years of contributions to get a full pension and a woman needed 39. They've changed that. They brought it down from 44 years to 30 years for both sexes. And then they went and changed it again, and they've upped it now to 35 years. Mm -hmm. So that is currently the situation. In order to get a full British pension, you need to have paid into the system for 35 years. However, like myself, I could not get 35 years because I didn't find out about it soon enough. I ended up with only 29. So I received 29 35ths of a British pension. Now, some of the rules indicate that, as I said, you must have worked in the UK for a minimum of three years in order to be able to be eligible for a pension, but then you must have a minimum of 10 years of contributions to get anything. So take yourself, for example, how many years did you work in the UK before you came to Canada? Well... This is it. I don't even know. I mean, I was doing retail jobs when I was 18. I was, you know, bussing tables. Does that all count? I mean, yes, when it I, does. I actually had a salaried career, you know, that was only after I graduated. So, Right. But let me give you an example. If you were to join our association, and I cannot stress the importance of doing it early enough, if you were to join our association, we tell you what to do. You would write to the Department of Work and Pensions and you request a statement forecast. Now, most people like me, when I was in my 50s, I didn't remember what my national insurance number was, but they find you. You give them all the details, where you lived, where you last worked, etc., all the dates. They'll find the information. They will send you a pension forecast, and it will show exactly how many years you've contributed. 
Now, I'm going to use you as an example. You probably don't have more than, what, four or five years at the most? Correct. Yeah. Because I left when I was 23. Um... So right now, Kate, you would get nothing. (laughs) Right. So you've given you've given five years of your money to into the state pension scheme. And if you don't do anything, you'll get nothing. You must have a minimum of 10 years. Mm-hmm. But you're still young. You're still young. The pension age is continually rising. People are living longer so that they've been gradually increasing the state pension age. Now, right now, it's at 67 for men and 66 for women. That will be increasing again so that they're going to max it out at men and women at the same age, 67. There is speculation that in the year 2043, they may raise it to 68. But at the moment, it's 67. Mm -hmm. Your listeners can very easily, and as you can, you can find out exactly what day you will hit retirement age by going onto the government website. It's www.gov.uk. And just type in state pension age. And then you put your date of birth in there and it will come up and tell you when you will hit state pension. Now, if you've got those minimum requirements of 10 years, you're going to get 10 35ths of whatever the pension is when you hit retirement, which is probably, what, 30 something years from now. Mm-hmm. I can't tell you what it'll be 30 years from now. But I, it, the pension right now, and again, they've got two pension schemes. It's around about £230 a week. Mm-hmm. Worth getting into, seriously worth looking into. Absolutely. So you mentioned then topping up payments for missing years. Explain explain a little bit for us. You know, we've moved to Canada. Uh, you know, I've only got, like you mentioned, maybe five years. So how would that work, topping up those missing years? And, and who's eligible to do that? Right. Anybody is eligible. You haven't paid into the scheme for the last three or four years since you've been in Canada. So you potentially could go back and buy those three or four years that you haven't paid. But if you take somebody, for example, who is maybe in their late 50s, they've only got 12 years before they're going to hit pension age. And let's say they've only got seven years of contributions. If they were to continue paying for those 12 more years, that would take them up to 19 years. But if they're in good health and they believe that they're likely to carry on living into their you know, mid-70s, 80s, they can retroactively buy years that the DWP will tell them what their payments would be if they wanted to go back and, say, buy another eight or nine years. The DWP currently are being swamped with telephone calls from pensioners all over the world because they decided to cut off the 10-year retroactive payment. So inevitably, everybody thought, I better jump on the bandwagon pretty quick and get those 10 years in. They got so swamped with telephone calls from all over the world, they've had to extend that deadline. And the deadline, I believe, is now going through till June of next year. So they're still getting thousands of pensioners all over the world, writing to them, calling them, requesting that opportunity to buy back 10 years. So you have to play with the numbers, you know, figure out what it's going to cost you to buy those years back and what your health situation is. Are you likely to be able to collect a pension long enough to make it worthwhile? You know, if you're, if you're 66 years old, buying back 10 years, if you've had three heart attacks, bypasses and stints, probably not a good investment. 
hate to say it, but you might not live long enough to collect the money. Yeah, it's so, so interesting because it's just something that I've never heard to do or thought to do. So many people are in the same boat as you, Kate. They had no idea that this is eligible. Quite honestly, I don't know of many countries in the world that will allow people to do this. Hmm. You, you You could ask me, do I think it's right? Probably not. I shouldn't have been able to buy into my pension when I'm now living in Canada. But if the British government was prepared to do it, why would I not take advantage of it? What is the the gain for them? You know, people are throwing all of this money at them to to buy back the missing years, which is great for them now. And then in the long run, I guess, you know, maybe people won't make it back and that's what they're betting on or First of all, they love to get your money now. <laughs> right. Right? You're paying in you're paying into their funds now and they don't have to pay you for a long time yet. But uh, the pension scheme works on the fact that people, a lot of people never get to claim their pension even though they've paid into it all their lives. Right. They die. Yeah. You know, they die when they they die before they get to pension age. Mm-hmm. And yet all that money has gone into their scheme. So in the, it, it's like an investment plan for them. They know what the average payouts are compared to the revenue that's coming in. Now, one of the reasons that we are in Canada so vocal is we've chosen to settle in the wrong country. And that is a strange thing to say because we we all love Canada, but the British government in their wisdom, have a two-tiered pension scheme payout, but they never told anybody years and years ago. They only uprate annually the pension in countries where they have a reciprocal agreement. In other words, uh, countries like the EU, they've just recently signed agreements post-Brexit to continue uprating pensions in 27 EU countries. And believe it or not, the United States of America. If I lived in the USA, I would get an annually indexed pension. It would go up every year to keep in line with inflation. But Canada does not have an agreement covering pensions with the United Kingdom, and we do not get the annual index ever. And that's why we've been fighting the British government for well over 25 years, pointing out that this is immoral, unjust, and it has to stop. We are living in a global world. Travel is so much easier now, and there are currently 127,000 British pensioners that live in Canada, and none of us get the annual indexation. I could give you examples of two individuals, a lady by the name of Anne Puckridge, who lives in Calgary. She moved here uh, in her 70s to be close to her daughter. At the time when she moved here, she was getting about £75 a week. It's never gone up. She's now 98 years old. So for the last 23 years, she's been getting that same pension. A gentleman by the name of Peter Duffy lives in Vancouver, very close to the USA border. He worked all his life in the United Kingdom. And at age 65, he emigrated to be with his daughter. And at that time, the pension in, uh, he's 98 now, so he retired 33 years ago. The pension then was £46 a week. He still, to this day, gets £46 a week. Wow. And what would it be now if, if we were, if he if had moved to Seattle? You know, what would he be looking at today? He wouldn't have to move to Seattle. He'd have to move about 600 yards south because he's that close to the USA border. <laughs> and he'd be getting over £130 a week. We've calculated that in over 33 years, he has lost around about $120,000 of his pension. 
It is wrong. Oh my goodness. And we can we can dispute every argument that the British government put up to continue this policy. Yeah. They use three main excuses. It's a policy that's been in effect for over 70 years and followed by successive governments. Well, history is not justification for something that's wrong. Mm-mm. The second reason they argue they won't uprate pensions is because they say they don't have a reciprocal agreement with Canada. Canada has repeatedly asked for over 15 years to sign a new agreement. And they, Britain keeps saying no. And then they'll say Canada is a close ally and friend and a Commonwealth partner. That's what I was going to say. That's what your mind always goes to. It's a Commonwealth country. You'd think, you know, of all the countries to choose to move exactly. to, you'd think that you'd be well looked after. Exactly. I'm very pleased to say that we have the tremendous support right now from the Canadian government who are pushing very hard on our behalf uh, to get this stopped. They have written letters numerous times. And uh, most recently, back in April of this year, Trade Minister Mary Ng and Pensions Minister Kamel Kerra wrote a very stern letter to the Department of Work and Pensions requesting an opportunity to sit down to resolve this issue, which is estimated to cost Canada over a half a billion dollars every year. Now, people will say, how does it cost Canada? We have to declare our world income on our tax returns. So if we, if we had more pension money, we would be paying more taxes. There are many, many people in Canada who are struggling because they're on a frozen pension and the Canadian government is supportive of them, giving them welfare and guaranteed income supplements and so on. So there is a direct cost to Canada and the Canadian government wants to see this end. Particularly, they've pointed out on numerous occasions that Canada uprates its pensions for its citizens wherever they live in the world. So every Canadian who's currently living in the United Kingdom is getting uprated Canadian pensions. It's a one-way street. It has mm. to stop. How how bizarre. I guess they um yeah, they're enjoying the the break in in not paying that money that that's owed. So Exactly. Well, we recognize that this can only be won uh in the United Kingdom. We we're on the other side of the world. I mean, I should point out that there's about 470,000 pensioners around the world who suffer the same indignation that we do. There's 240,000 that live in Australia. Mm-hmm. Australia and Canada are the two main countries. They represent about 90% of frozen pensioners. And ironically, it seems to be mostly the Commonwealth countries where Britain is refusing to uprate pensions. Yeah. So that this is a you know a great segue into talking about, yeah, I mean, we've touched on it already, the work that you do at the Canadian Alliance of British Pensioners, because... Yeah, as we were mentioning at the beginning of the episode, you not only support people in Canada who might be eligible to to draw UK state pension, get these top up payments paid, you know, people like me get that whole process going. But as I can see, you know, you've got so much passion for it. You're lobbying the UK government to stop freezing these payments. So, um, yeah, let's let's chat more about CABP and, and what you've got going on right now. We joined forces with a similar organization in Australia, mm. um, and we created uh, back in 2009 the International Consortium of British Pensioners, ICBP. And between the two of us, we fund a company in London, a government relations lobbyist company. We recognize that this fight can only be won in the United Kingdom. And we retain the services of a company called Tendo Consulting, and they are constantly dealing with the media members of parliament, and keeping this issue active, alive in the British media. I will be in London again in about three weeks' time with a group of people, 
And we hope to be delivering a petition to the Prime Minister's residence at 10 Downing Street, which uh, currently has around about 180,000 signatures on it from people recognizing that this policy needs to stop. Um, we are meeting with as many MPs and media as we can. We try to get there every year. One of the things that I hear a lot from our members, particularly the older members, is they've been pushing this fight for many, many years and nothing's going to change. I guarantee you, if we do nothing, nothing is going to change. Mm -hmm. That's a fact. Of course. So a war is not won overnight. Rome wasn't built in a day. I honestly and firmly believe that we are well ahead of where we were five years ago, 10 years ago with this fight. The British government are now having to respond to the actual Canadian government who are putting more and more pressure on them. Yeah, that's amazing. On our website, we do have a website. It's britishpensions.com. We have a section on there called Media. And if you went on that and looked up videos, you could see actual videos of many senators, MPs, both in the UK and in Canada, rising in the House, making this question uh, a relevant issue to Parliament. The British government cannot keep saying no, no, no. It has to stop. And it, it w I believe it will stop. When? I can't tell you. <laughs> yeah, no. And it's it's one of those things where you hear the word pensions and you think, oh, it's a future me problem, right? For my age, it's a future me problem. I'm not going to have a pension for, like we mentioned, 30, 40 years. Um, and oh, what a privilege. I get to you know, pay these payments and then have a pension, even though I've moved away and I'm not even paying, you know, not even working in the UK anymore. I should feel grateful for that. But then, you know, flipping it, trying to think about the future me. What if now, you know, I, I do get my pension and then that rate is frozen and it's the same problem all over again, 50, you know, 30, even 10 years down the line, I'll, st I'll be stuck with whatever that rate is when my time does come. So it is relevant for me, you know, today and my age to, to help with this fight because it will affect me eventually. Absolutely it is. I mean, um, I don't know the particular financial circumstances of the two individuals I mentioned, but could you imagine how much do you think £43 a week is going to be able to provide? It doesn't adjust to inflation, especially the cost of living in Canada right now. It's such a hot topic that everyone's talking about. It's only going to get worse and worse by the looks of it. So I can only imagine. Absolutely. Inflation is rising all over the world. Last year in the UK, the pension uh, under the triple lock system rose by 10.1%. So last year alone, all of these pensioners in Canada and other countries in where they're frozen, we missed out on 10.1%. It's estimated that in April of 2024, the pension's going to go up by another 8%. Yeah. Now, I would like to think that by the time April 24 rolls around, the British government have finally caved in, we might get that 8% increase. There are a number of issues that uh, the British government are concerned about. They, they seem to think that if they uprated our pensions, would they be obligated to go back and pay what they've owed for all these years we've been frozen? And they've never, ever done that. In countries where they've created reciprocal agreements, it's always been indexation going forward. Now, that's not necessarily going to make a lot of the older members happy. Mm -hmm. I mean, to get an 8% increase on £46 a week when you should be getting £135, it's not going to make those members happy. But it's a start. It's a step in the right direction. Exactly. It's a small step for sure. So it's kind of tackling half the problem. <laughs> well, when we started this fight, 
25 plus years ago, if the British government had made that change then and given indexation going forward, most of the, everybody now would be almost on a full pension. There would be no more freezing because all those pensioners from 25 years ago, would, most of them would have deceased. Mm-hmm. It's, it's people of your generation who need to also get on board, not just recognizing the fact that it's something you should get in and think about your pension, because believe me, it does creep up on you quicker than you think. <laughs> but also, you want, to make sure, you want to make sure when you do get to that age that you're getting justifiably what you deserve. Why should you be treated differently than a pensioner, British pensioner who's living in Iceland or Seattle? Mm. We've all paid into the system equally. We should all be treated equally. Yeah, absolutely. So what can people do then? So what am I going to do when I log off this call with you? What's the first thing that you want me to do? I, I'm, I'm for it. I'm ready. Uh, where can we go? Well, the simplest thing there would be to go to our website. It's www.britishpensions.com. And all the information is on our website of, to how you get involved. Uh, it's a $25 a year annual fee. That's really, what's that, a case of beer or a bottle of wine? Uh, it's not a lot of money, and that's a membership for a family. So if you were married to a, a British person or a person who's eligible, it's just a one-family fee. And we give you all the information you need. We have experts within our organization. A lot of times know more about the pension scheme than people who work for the DWP themselves. And we can answer just about any question and offer you all the advice that you need to get you started on the right track. Because mm-hmm. that was going to be my next question. Freezing payments aside, f- for me to even start this process, to, to top up payments for missing years, to, to, to start that, what does that look like? Maybe, um, it, you know, it's probably case by case basis, but what would be, what would that look like for, for someone who's, you know, my generation listening today? Okay. The Department of Work and Pensions have different rates of contributions. There's class one, class two, and class three. Class three is the most common, and that's the people who are likely still working in the United Kingdom. And I'm going to use approximate figures. I think right now the annual fee for a class three payment to pay into the scheme is around about £940 a year. Okay. Now, if you wanted to retroactively buy five or six years, you're, you're looking at five or £6,000. It's a pretty good chunk of money. Um, but again, it might well be worth doing <clears throat> if you are in good health and you think you're going to get the return. However, they also have a much lower class, which is class two. And that's a contribution that a lot of people who come to Canada do qualify for. There are certain restrictions. You must have been gainfully employed in the United Kingdom just before you left the country. You must have come straight to the country that you've moved to, in this case, Canada, as opposed to going traveling around the world for a year. And then once you get to Canada, you must start work almost immediately. Now, if you if those if those three criteria fit your situation, you will qualify for the lower class two rate, which is around about one hundred and ninety pounds a year. Now, that's like two hundred and fifty dollars a year. $20 a month. Mm. I qualified for class two. So when I bought my 10 years, the rate at that time was about 12 pounds a week. So for 144 pounds a year, I was able to buy 10 years of payments. Everything that I paid into it to get my 29 years, I got back within about, I think, 18 months. 
And I've now been collecting for another five years. So well worth doing for me. And I bet your wife was like, oh, okay, you did know what you were doing all those years ago. Yeah. <laughs> you could say, I told you so. <laughs> oh, believe me, I've done that a few times. <laughs> wow. Okay. So BritishPensions.com um, definitely sounds like that's a website I'm clicking straight away when we finish the call. And thank you so much. Obviously, you're doing such important work to to look out for, for everyone that's moved to Canada. And, and probably it's going to spread, right? You're going to help people in Australia. It's going to be a movement, hopefully, that, that stops the discrimination worldwide for British immigrants around the world. So, so such good work you're doing. And um, yeah, thank you so much for, for coming on the show and, and sharing this information. I've learned so much. Um, I'm sure a lot of other people have today as well. And um, yeah, we'll definitely be putting everything in the show notes. So check that out. Click the links in the show notes. I'm going to share everything that these guys are doing. Um, and yeah, thank you for your time. And Kate, we also will answer questions through the office, info at britishpensions.com. You can send our office manager a question. You will get an answer. I can assure you of that. And we welcome as many members as we can. We're just here to help people get what they deserve. Mm. Yeah, fantastic. And the webinars sound fantastic too. I'm sure there's Q&As there as well that people can ask questions live and yeah, fantastic. Yep, you can. It's a, it's a very useful website. But thank you very much for listening to me. Thank you. Have a great time on that ocean, on that coast. I'm so jealous. <laughs> <laughs> thank you so much. Thank you so, so much for listening. It would mean the world to me if you could leave the show a quick review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you're listening from. And if you're loving the show so far, recommend us to your friends. Spread word and help us grow this exciting community. Until next time. Music.